Good morning, I bring you a biography of all the 45 presidents of the U.S. Starting with uh, POTUS, President of the United States, Part 1. President of the United States, POTUS, is the head of state and head of government of the United States of America. The president directs the executive branch often of the federal government and is the commander-in-chief of the United States Armed Forces. In contemporary times, the president is looked upon as one of the world's most political figures as the leader of the only remaining global superpower. The role includes responsibility for the world's most expensive military, which has the second largest nuclear arsenal. The president also leads the nation with the largest economy by nominal GDP. The president possesses significant domestic and international hard and soft power. Article 2 of the Constitution establishes the executive branch of the federal government. It vests the executive power of the United States in the president. The power includes the execution and enforcement of federal law, alongside the responsibility of appointing federal executive, diplomatic, regulatory, and judicial powers, and concluding treaties with foreign powers with the advice and consent of the Senate. The President is further empowered to grant federal pardons and reprieves and to convene and adjourn either or both houses of Congress under extraordinary circumstances. The President directs the foreign and domestic policies of the United States and takes an active role in promoting his or her policy priorities to members of Congress. In addition, as part of the system of checks and balances, Article 1, Section 7 of the Constitution gives the President the power to sign a veto federal legislation. The power of the President has grown substantially since its formation, as has the power of the federal government as a whole. Through the Electoral College, registered voters indirectly elect the President and the Vice President for a, to a four-year term. This is, is the only federal election in the United States which is not decided by popular vote. Nine Vice Presidents became President by virtue of, the, of a President's intra term death or resignation. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 5 sets three qualifications for holding the presidency. Natural born citizen of the U.S. Citizenship, at least 35 years of age, and resident in the United States for at least 14 years. The 22nd Amendment states that no person who has been elected to two presidential terms may be elected to a third. In all 44 and all 44 individuals have served presidency spanning 57 full four-year terms. Grover Cleveland served two non-consecutive terms, so he is counted twice as both the 22nd and 24th president. Donald Trump is the 45th and incumbent president of the United States. He assumed office on January 20th, 2017. Origin. In July 1776, during the American Revolutionary War, the 13 colonies acting jointly through the Second Continental Congress declared themselves to be 13 independent sovereign states, no longer under British rule. Recognizing the necessity of closely coordinating their efforts against the British, the Continental Congress simultaneously began the process of drafting a constitution that would bind their states together. There were long debates on a number of issues, including representation and voting to and the exact powers to be given the central government. Congress finished work on the Articles of Confederation to establish a perpetual union between the states in November 1777 and sent it to the states for ratification. 
Under the Articles, which took effect on March 1, 1781, the Congress of the Confederation was a central political authority without any legislative power. It could make its own resolutions, determinations, and regulations, but not any laws, and could not impose any taxes or enforce local commercial regulations upon its citizens. This institutional design reflected how Americans believed the deposed British citizens of Crown and Parliament ought to have functioned with respect to the royal dominion, a superintending body for matters that concern the entire empire. The states were out from under any monarchy and assigned some formerly royal prerogatives, e.g. making war, receiving ambassadors, etc., to Congress. The remaining prerogatives were lodged within their own respective state governments. The members of the Congress elected the President of the United States in Congress assembled top reside over its deliberation as a neutral discussion moderator. Unrelated to and quite dissimilar from the latter office of President of the United States, it was a largely ceremonial position without much influence. In 1783, the Treaty of Paris secured independence for each of the former colonies. With peace at hand, the states each turned turned toward their own internal affairs. By 1786, Americans found the continent Continental borders besieged and weak, and their irrespective economies in crises as neighboring states agitated trade rivalries with one another. They witnessed their hard currency pouring into foreign markets to pay for imports, the Mediterranean commerce preyed upon by North African pirates, and their foreign finance revolutionary war debts unpaid and accruing interest. Civil and political unrest loomed. Following the session, following the successful resolution of commercial and fishing disputes between Virginia and Maryland at the Mount Vernon Conference in 1785, Virginia called for a trade conference between all the states set for September 1786 in Annapolis, Maryland, with the aim toward resolving further reaching interstate commercial antagonists when the convention failed for lack of attendance due to suspicions among most of the other states. Alexander Hamilton led the Annapolis delegates in a call for a convention to offer revisions to the articles to be held the next spring in Philadelphia. Prospects for the next convention appeared bleak until James Madison and Edmund Randolph succeeded in securing George Washington attendance to Philadelphia as a delegate for Virginia. When the Constitutional Convention convened in May 1787, the 12 state delegations in attendance, Rhode Island did not send delegates, brought with them an accumulated experience over a diverse set of institutional arrangements between legislative and executive branches from within their respective state governments. Most states maintained a weak executive without veto or appointment powers elected annually by the legislature to a single term only sharing power with an executive council and countered by a strong legislature. New York offered the greatest exception, having a strong unitary governor with veto and appointment power elected to a three-year term and eligible for re-election to an indefinite number of terms thereafter. It was through the closed-door negotiations of Philadelphia that the presidency framed in the U.S. Constitution emerged. Powers and Duties, Article 1, Legislative Role. 
The, pre the presentment clause requires that any bill passed by Congress must be presented to the president before it can become law. Once the legislation has been presented, the president has three options. Sign the legislation within 10 days, including Sundays. The bill becomes a law. Veto the legislation within the above time frame and return it to the House of Congress, from which it originated expressing any objections. The bill does not become law unless both House of Congress vote to override the veto by a two-thirds vote. Take no action on the legislation within the above time frame, and the bill becomes law, as if the president had signed it, unless Congress is adjourned at the time, in which case it does not become a law, a pocket veto. In 1996, Congress attempted to enhance the president's veto power with the Line Item Veto Act. The legislation empowered the president to sign any spending bill into law, while some states striking certain spending items within the bill, particularly any new spending, any amount of discretionary spending, or any new limited tax benefit, Congress could then repass that particular item. If the president then vetoed the new legislation, Congress could override the veto by its ordinary means, a two-thirds vote in both houses. In Clinton versus City of New York, 524 U.S. 417, 1998, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled such a legislative alliteration, alteration of the veto power to be unconstitutional. The president can also be involved in crafting legislation by suggesting, requesting, or even insisting that Congress enact laws he believes are needed. Additionally, he can attempt to shape legislation during the legislative process by exerting influence on individual members of Congress. Presidents possess this power because the Constitution is silent about who can write legislation, but the power is limited because only members of Congress can introduce legislation. Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution, bolstered by Article 1, Section 8, puts, a f puts all lawmaking power in Congress's hands, and Article 1, Section 6, Clause 2, prevents the President and all other executive branch officers from simultaneously being a member of Congress. The President or other officials of the executive branch may draft legislation and then ask senators or representatives to induce, introduce these drafts into Congress. The President can further influence the, leg <coughs> the legislature. <coughs> the President can influence can further influence the legislature's, legislative branch through Constitution, <coughs> e.g., Article 2, Section 3, or statutorily mandated periodic reports to Congress. These reports may be either written or oral, but today the greatest in importance, the greatest in importance is given as an oral State of the Union addresses which often outline the president's legislative proposals for the coming year. Additionally, the president may attempt to have Congress alter proposed legislation by threatening to veto that legislation unless requests are changes are made. <coughs> In the 20th century, critics charged that too many legislative and budgetary powers that should have belonged to Congress has led to the hands of presidents. 
As a head of the executive branch, President controls a vast array of agencies that can issue regulations with little oversight from Congress. One critic charged that presidents could appoint a virtual army of czars, each wholly accountable to Congress, which task was spearheading majority policy efforts for the White House. Presidents have been criticized for making signing statements when signing congressional legislation about how they understand a bill or plan to execute it. This plan has been criticized by the American Bar Association as unconstitutional. Conservative commentator George Will wrote of an increasingly swollen executive branch, the eclipse of Congress. Article 2, Executive Powers. War and Foreign Affairs Powers. One of the most important of executive powers is the President's role as Commander-in-Chief of United States Armed Forces. The power to declare war is constitutionally vested in Congress, but the President has ultimate responsibility for the direction and disposition of the military. Exact degree of authority that the Constitution grants, <coughs> grants to the President as Commander-in-Chief has been a subject of much debate Throughout history, with Congress at various times granting the President wide authority and other others attempting to restrict that authority. The amount of military detail handled personally by the President in wartime has varied greatly. George Washington, the first U.S. President from established military subordination under civilian authority. In 1794, Washington used his constitutional powers to assemble 12,000 militia to quell the Whisker Rebellion, a conflict in Western Pennsylvania involving armed farmers and distilled distillers who refused to pay an excise tax on spirits. According to historian Joseph Ellis, this was the first and only time a sitting American president led troops in the field. Though James Madison briefly took control of artillery units in defense of Washington, D.C. during the War of 1812. Abraham Lincoln was deeply involved in overall strategy and in day-to-day operations during the American Civil War, 1861-1865. Historians have given Lincoln high praise for his strategic sense and his ability to select and encourage commanders such as Ulysses S. Grant. The present-day operation command of the armed forces is delegated to the Department of Defense and is normally exercised through the Secretary of Defense. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the combatant commands assist with the operation as outlined in the Presidential Approved Unified Command Plan, UCP. The framers of the Constitution took care to limit the President's power regarding the military. Alexander Hamilton explained this in Federalist Number 69. The President is to be Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy of the United States, it would amount to nothing more than the supreme command and direction of the military and naval forces, while that the power of the British king extends to the declaring of war and to the raising and regulating of fleets and armies, all of which would appertain to the legislature. Pursuant to the War Powers Resolution, Congress must authorize any troop deployments longer than 60 days, Although that process relies on triggering mechanisms that have never been employed, rendering it ineffectual. Any ineffectual. Additionally, Congress provides a check to presidential military power through its control over military spending and regulation. 
Presidents have historically initiated the process for going to war, but critics have charged that there have been several conflicts in which presidents did not get official declaration, including Theodore Roosevelt's military move to, into Panama in 1903, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, and the Venetians invasions of Granada in 1983 and Panama in 1989. The Constitution also empowers the President to propose and chiefly negotiate agreements between the United States and other countries such agreements upon receiving the advice and consent of the U.S. Senate by a two-thirds majority vote becoming become binding with the force of federal law. Administrative powers suffice it to say that the President is made to the sole repository of the executive powers of the United States and the powers entrusted to him as well as the duties imposed upon him are awesome indeed. Nixon versus General Services Administration 433 U.S. 425 1977 Rehnquist J. Dissenting The President is head of the executive branch of the federal government and is constitutionally obliged to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. The executive branch has over 4 million employees, including the military. Presidents must make numerous executive branch appointments. An income president may make up to 6,000 before taking office and 8,000 more while serving. Ambassadors, members of the cabinet, and other federal officers are all appointed by the president with the advice and consent <coughs> of a majority of the Senate. When the Senate is in the recess, for at least 10 days, the president may make recess appointments. Recess appointments are temporary and expire at the end of the next session of the Senate. The power of a president to fire executive officials has been a contentious political issue. Generally, a president may remove executive officials purely at will. However, Congress can curtail and constrain a president's authority to fire commissions of independent regulatory agencies and certain inferior executive offices by statute. To manage the growing federal bureaucracy, presidents have gradually surrounded themselves with many layers of staff who were eventually organized into the executive office of the president of the United States. Within the executive office of the president, intermost layer of aides and their assistants are located in the White House. To allow the government to act quickly in case of major domestic or international crisis arising when Congress is not in session, the president is empowered by Article 2. Section 3 of the Constitution to call a Congression of one or both houses of Congress. Since John Adams first did so in 1797, the President has, the president has called the full Congress to convene for a special session on 27 occasions. Harry Truman was the most recent to do so in July 1948, the so-called Turnip Day Session. In addition, prior to ratification of the 20th Amendment in 1933, which brought forward the date on which Congress convenes from date December to January, newly inaugurated presidents would routinely call the Senate to meet to confirm nominations or ratify treaties. Correspondingly, the president is authorized to adjourn to Congress if the House and Senate cannot agree on the time of adjournment. No president has ever had to exercise this administrative power. The president also possesses the power to manage operations of the federal government through issuing various types of directives, such as presidential proclamation and executive orders. When, president, when the president is lawfully exercising one of the constitutional 
conferred presidential responsibilities. This group, this power is broad. Even so, these directives are subject to the judicial review by U.S. federal courts, which can find them to be unconstitutional. Moreover, Congress can overturn an executive order through legislation, e.g. Conditional Review Act. Judicial power, judicial powers and privileges. The president has the power to nominate federal judges, including members of the United States Courts of Appeals and the Supreme Court of the United States. However, these nominations require Senate confirmation before they may take office. Securing Senate approval can approve a majority obstacle for the president who wish to orient the federal judiciary toward a particular ideological stance. <coughs> when nominating judges to U.S. district courts, presidents often respect the long-standing tradition of senatorial courtesy. Presidents may also grant pardons and retrieve. Judge Ford pardoned Richard Nixon a month after taking office. Presidents often grant pardons shortly before leaving office, like Bill Clinton pardoned Patty Hearst on his last day in office. This is often controversial. Two doctrines concerning executive power have developed that enable the president to exercise executive power with a degree of autonomy. The first is executive privilege, which allows the president to withhold from disclosure any communications made directly to the president in the performance of executive duties. George Washington first claimed the privilege when Congress requested to see Chief Justice John Jay's notes from an unpopular treaty negotiation with Great Britain. While not enshrined in the Constitution or any other law, Washington actually created the precedent for being for the privilege. When Nixon tried to use excessive privilege as a reason for not turning over subpoenaed evidence to Congress during the Watergate scandal, the Supreme Court ruled the United States v. Nixon, 418 U.S. 683-1974, that Excessive privilege should not supply in cases where a president was attempting to avoid criminal prosecution. When Bill Clinton attempted to use excessive privilege regarding the Lewinsky scandal, the Supreme Court ruled in Clinton v. George 520, U.S. 681-1997, that the privilege also could not be used in civil suits. These cases established the legal presence that executive privilege is valid, although the exact extent of the privilege has yet to be clearly defined. Additionally, federal courts have allowed this privilege to radiate outward and protect other executive branch employees, but have weakened that protection for those executive branch communicants that do, that do not involve the president. The state secrets privilege allows the president and the executive branch to withhold information or documents from discovery in legal proceedings if such release would harm national security. Precedent for the privilege arose early in the 19th century when Thomas Jefferson refused to release military documents in the treason trial of Aaron Burr and again in Totten versus United States, 92 U.S. 105, 1876, when the Supreme Court dismissed a case brought by a former Union spy. However, the privilege was not formally recognized by the U.S. Supreme Court until United States versus Reynolds 345 U.S. 1 1953, where it was held to be a common law evidentiary privilege. Before the September 11th tax, use of the privilege has been rare but increasing in frequency since 2001. The government has asserted the privilege in more cases and a 
earlier stages of the litigation, thus in some instances causing dismissal of the suits before reaching the merits of the claims, as in the Ninth Circuit ruling in Mohammed versus Jepson Data Plan Inc. Critics of the privileged claim it has its use has become a tool for the government to cover up illegal or embarrassing government actions. The degree to which the president Presley has sovereign immunity from court cases is contested and has been the subject of several Supreme Court decisions. Nixon versus Fitzgerald, 1982, dismissed the civil lawsuit against by then former President Richard Nixon based on his official actions. Clinton versus Jones, 1997, decided that a president has no immunity against civil suits for actions taken before becoming president and ruled that asexual har- harassment suit could proceed without delay even against a sitting president. The 2019 mural report on Russian interference in the 2006 presidential election detailed evidence of possible obstruction of justice, but investors declined to refer Donald Trump for prosecution based on the United States Department of Justice policy against indicting an incumbent president. The report noted that impeachment by Congress was available as a remedy as of October 2019. A case was pending in the federal courts regarding access to personal tax returns in the court of case brought against Donald Trump by the New York County District Attorney alleging violations of New York State. I will continue next time with ceremony, ceremonial roles. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time for another episode of U.S. Presidents.